Hey, everybody. It's Nancy Rommelman here coming to you from Chinatown, New York City. We are going to do another episode of the Dispatches from Portland, um, the one I, I ran one last week with a couple of photojournalists on the ground. Portland seems to be um, a city where there is a lot going on, if different than in uh, 2020 and 2021. And I have someone joining me today who has been... I'm not exactly sure when she got to the city, but I know her business, Mother's Bistro, has been open since 2000. She's obviously seen a lot of changes, and I just want my listeners to know this is not, in fact, Lorraine Bracco, the actress from Goodfellas and um, and The Soprano. <laughs> it is a vocal doppelganger, and her name <laughs> it is and her name is Lisa Schroeder. Lisa, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, I am an ex-New Yorker, hence I don't sound like an Oregonian. No, you never lose that. And I'm I'm a New Yorker too. Where did you grow up, by the way? What part? I grew up in Philadelphia, moved out when okay. I was 17, and then returned to New York when I was uh, 21. Okay. So Lisa and I, I lived in, uh, in Portland from uh, 2004 to 2019. Lisa and I, in fact, never really met, but we knew of each other. I think we're going to have a lot of things to talk about in common. And before we get to what's going on now, which will, I think, take up the bulk of what we're going to talk about, I did want to know... Um, you opened Mothers in 2000. Maybe tell the listeners a little bit what Mothers is, the the idea behind it, and why you chose not only Portland, but that area of Portland. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I had the idea for Mothers while I was working for Weight Watchers International, trying to get people to buy products they didn't really need. And <laughs> after my 13th hour at my job, I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do for dinner, and I could get Thai, Mexican, Chinese, but there was no place to get the kind of food that I would make if I had the time. And I said, well, wait, this is what the world needs, a place that serves mother food. And so um, that was 1993. And everything I did for the next eight years led me to opening up mothers. I went, I, um, I had a feeling I was going to get laid off from Weight Watchers. They were having a lot of layoffs. And so I applied to the Culinary Institute of America and got accepted and then my husband, you know, my husband had an affair with my best friend. <laughs> my daughter went to go live with her father. So basically I had the atom bomb I needed to follow my passion, went to cooking school at the age of 33, and then went to work at Le Cirque and Les Pinas when I graduated. But all the while, as I'm throwing out the the half of a turnip for the perfect square on the plate, I'm saying, I will not do this. This yeah. is a crime against humanity. I cannot throw away food. I'm going to open up a place that honors the universe. And uh, then I uh, met a great guy uh, in 1996 who lived in Portland, and I was trying to figure out where I would open up Mother's, and I met this guy, and it just made perfect sense. So came out here, worked as a chef at a little restaurant for a couple years, and then my time came and found a location um, on the borderline of da Old Town, and a lot of people, everybody said, oh, that's such a bad location, nobody's going to come to you, it was so many different restaurants, why do you want to open there? And we did our research, and we realized that the, the location wasn't cursed, and in Portland, I could be a big fish in a little pond. And uh, we we were very successful in that location. We went, our, we turned our sign from close to open, and ninety people walked in the door our very first day. And by the time I moved, because we were popping at the seams, yep. we were doing a thousand covers on a Sunday brunch between eight and two thirty. So 
We've grown a lot over the years and we moved to our new location in January of 2019 because we had literally, people couldn't even get in our front door. We were so busy and I just wanted, and it wasn't a building that wasn't seismically upgraded and I was very afraid that the building was going to crumble on my staff. So we moved and we had a very successful first year and then COVID and yeah. so got smacked upside the head and uh, the whole world changed, as did my life and my business. So uh, before we get to COVID for a second, I want to talk a little bit because, you know, I moved to Portland in 2004. My husband opened his business in 2005. And you I, you, have a, you had a piece uh, or you were interviewed last week for Oregon Business Journal. And one thing that you said there was we were riding high there for a while, meaning the city. I am of the firm belief that like from the early 2000s until about almost the mid maybe around 2015, 2012, I don't know. Portland really was the place that people were coming to actuate dreams in interesting ways. It was still affordable. If you like nature, there was plenty of that. It's a breadbasket. You can get all kinds of product. I mean, you spit out a watermelon seed and, you know, next season you've got an entire field of watermelons. And you had people that, I mean, I call it kind of punk rocking it. I don't mean in the like traditional punk rock sense. I mean like, oh wait, I want to do this thing. I want to do, I want to, I want to, I want to be a beekeeper. I want to make axes. And people did. And there was this very sort of free-spirited thing going on that I think was very, very, very fertile. I started to see that change in the early 2010s. And I don't know if I would attribute it to, you know, other people from around the country seeing it and being like, oh, I want to be there. And then they got there and realized they still had to work really hard. Like, where's my dream? Where's my piece of the pie? Or if it's just, you know, a cyclical thing. Do you, did you have a sense of when Portland kind of went from this like freewheeling place where you could open a mother's or a coffee roastery or something, you know, just because you could to maybe becoming a little less, I don't know if it's the city that's less receptive to it, but just something sort of changed in the, in the, in the feeling, in the kind of, in the business community. Did you, did you sense that? No, the only thing I think really changed is when um, there was a half hour commercial for Portland uh, with the show Portlandia. And basically it really became a city where young people came to retire. And so I really, there I saw a change. I saw a huge influx of 35-year-olds. We were the fifth largest city for 35-year-olds, you know, during that time. So I just saw, saw a huge influx of people who had an idealized ver- version and vision of what Portland is, and that wasn't necessarily reality. That's exactly right. I, you, you said it much better than I did. They came sort of expecting this, you know, this green location with all this wonderful stuff and all this great lifestyle stuff, which was there, but it's also not going to be handed to you when you drive over the border. It's like, you're still going to have to, you know, pay your taxes and get a job and do all this stuff. And I think there was a bit of, um, you could say, disillusionment that maybe gave way to a little agitation or bitterness or something. I, I sensed people were... I, it seemed to me they were a little unhappy that their dreams weren't coming true fast enough. But um, I don't know if I would say that. I, I will say that it just became, we kind of got California, Californication, you know, Portland, just a lot of la-di-da restaurants and shishi-foo-foo. And we went from kind of being earthy to being trying to keep up with Seattle, which we're not, we're, we're, oh. we never will be. And we, we don't, so we, we needed not to go there. And I, anyway, I just feel like COVID slapped everybody upside the head and 
kind of put everybody back into a reality, but the new reality we face is, is hardly, uh, it's more like a nightmare than a reality. Before we get there, let's, how did you survive during COVID? Cause I know you, cause I know you're a hustler. I know that. I know that. Yeah, but you know what? It, it, I'll tell you, I, I thanks to the government. We survived. Okay. Uh, you know, I tried to open. I tried to do my own delivery so as not to give all my money to Grubhub and DoorDash. We, that was very unsuccessful in that we were losing money. I mean, I tried to stay open and was losing over 25000 a month just trying. Oh. And so at about, I just finally threw up my hands and gave up. And we were closed for about a year. Then I was going to open and there was COVID again. And then, you know, so it was on and off. We were really closed for uh, at least a year. And um, I had applied for the Restaurant Revitalization Act money. And when I first applied, they were uh, putting ahead uh, women and BIPOC. And the, I, I realized oh my gosh, I'm not going to get it because I made my business 50-50 with my husband who really gave me the seed money to open up Mother. So I, I kind of like gifted, we were 50-50. And then somebody in Texas protested that they were putting women in BIPOC ahead of others. And so I looked out and we ended up getting the money because <laughs> I sat by my computer with my finger on the send button as soon as the application was available to be ready to be sent. And so we got the money, which was the difference between my revenues in 2019 and what I took in 2020. And it was an amazing gift that has kept us afloat until now. But I guess I'm one of the reasons why I'm becoming so vocal is because that money is over. Um, you know, that money was spent to keep us alive until today. And now uh, I do. I my business is a third of what it was in 2019. So for the listeners, most of whom do not live in Portland, um, Old Town, where she opened the original space, it's um it's near, not really too far, about five blocks from where a lot of the missions are. It's not far from the Greyhound station or the train station. So you've got. You do have transient people. There's always been a homeless population down there. Yes, of course, you're always going to have people that have addictions. And I, and you're not far from that location now. You're, you're in the same area, essentially. So, okay, you know, this is something that you accept. I live in New York City. You, you accept you're going to go on the subway and it's going to be disgusting. Okay. However, there has been, I mean, first we had covid and then you had the summer of rage and there was a lot of activity down by the courthouse and a lot of breaking and a lot of fires and people that lived down there were not very happy about it. Businesses were not very happy about it. We had a lot of businesses close due to COVID, but also some of them were just like, I'm done. I can't, my window's been broken 14 times. I'm just, I'm done here. I can't get insurance, et cetera. So you have survived this. And now it's like, wow, 2021, phew. We could, even though Oregon's had some of the strictest, you know, masking and et cetera laws, it's like, phew, we can finally now maybe start getting back on our feet, getting a little breathing room. It's still going to suck. We're still going to be losing money maybe for a little while. However, now we can get on our feet. So Lisa, I hand the floor to you and ask you to tell the listeners how that's been. <laughs> well, we can't get on our feet. First of all, there is a consistent PR campaign against downtown Portland. Let's just face it. There isn't anybody giving sweet stories about the good things that happen. And a lot of good does happen. But okay, I understand that. But what happened for me and where my my epiphany happened was I used to park my car in a parking garage. And yes, I faced the piss and the smells and the broken glass here and there. But I didn't realize what was actually happening until I moved my parking spot to a triangle that faces 
Dante's, a really big club uh, on the borderline of Old Town. And I was borderline Old Town. I wasn't in Old Town before, just okay. to note there. I was on this side of Burnside, the down the downtown side of Burnside. And so we also faced Voodoo Donuts, another big draw for um for Portland. And we were were only a couple blocks from Saturday Market. And when I moved my spot to there, what I saw was meth fentanyl TV. Literally in front of my face were dealings and smokings and foil and repercussions. And I mean, I, I, I felt like somebody opened up their cooler and people would come and, and get their purchases for the day. I have so much on, on my phone because I, I, I was incredulous. And, but what it did was it opened my eyes to what the true problem that Portland is facing now. Okay. Listen, we can take care of the homeless. I know we've got it in us. If somebody needs a roof over their head, they're down and out. Okay. We can get the money to get them a home. But what we now have in downtown Portland is 90% of the people are not from Oregon. They have come here because we have become a Mecca for the drugs that they crave. And that is because there was a measure that passed 110 um, that was intended to decriminalize drugs and not make addicts criminals. They are not. They are suffering. But when they decriminalized the drugs, they were supposed to have in place treatment and other ways of dealing with addiction. But they did not. That all lagged right behind. And there was so much going on with the OHA, the Oregon Health Authority, that was so preoccupied with dealing with the virus, COVID, that they could not pay any attention to setting up an infrastructure for dealing with addiction. So we became a mecca for anybody and everybody who wanted free free reign to drugs, you know, pills for just pennies on the dollar. And then the problem is, and I've met with the police here and say, please, why aren't you doing anything? They throw up their arms and they say, well, there's nothing we can do. It's decriminalized. We can't do anything. We have to leave it to the feds, they say. And I say, but it's not legal to smoke on the street. It's not legal to deal on the street. And they literally throw up their arms. We are faced with a passive aggressive police force that is abandoning the citizens and um, I, we are all at our wits end and trying to figure out how to deal with the problem that we are all facing and it's uh, going to kill the city and it's killing my business. So I think the, the police, which we know the, the force is down a little bit than it should be, but that doesn't really matter in terms of what you're saying. But I, I think it's also the case that, you know, they can arrest someone. Let's say, okay, it's not, it's not, it's, it's not illegal to have you know, marijuana, but you're not allowed to smoke it on the street. Okay. But they do. Well, okay. They arrest this guy. Nothing's going to happen to the guy. Like you, you, you do two hours of paperwork and they go to the DA. The DA can't, is not going to charge that guy. It's just not going to happen. I understand. And what I believe is there should be consequences, but there can't be no no consequences. I mean, the cops just drive by and watch it happen at, you know, at the very least they can cite them and say, stop it. Stop. And move on. And if we keep harassing them and say, you can't do it here, at some point, maybe they'll stop. 
I I agree with you because there have even if that it, maybe that's a small consequence. Let's say you know it, it, you and I, you and I are like smoking whatever we're smoking on the street. Nobody ever says anything to us. Oh, we're just going to do whatever we want. Someone comes up to us and says, "Hey." cut it out or just move it. I don't want to see it. Okay. That's like the first little incident. And then you, maybe we have to be a little more, uh, not so, um, blatant about it. Now as a business owner, let's talk a little bit about how, like maybe some specific examples of how you see what's going on with the drugs. And, and before we get there, I will just say, I I'm coming back to Portland next month, um, for some reporting, but I was there in, in September and I have a video of it that I've put on Twitter before. Um, I was, I was shocked. I, okay. I lived in Portland for 15 years. I know what the park blacks look like. I know what Chinatown looks like. I know what old town looks like. And there was always, you know, yes, there's been people on the street. This was like nothing I had ever seen. These were, it was like, they were just clumps of bodies on the street, people like digging at their infected feet or pooping or yelling at me and taking off their clothes. But the one that has, I, I keep writing about it because I cannot forget I was on 12th. There's like one of, there's a Victorian house still left on 12th, like, or maybe it was 10th. It doesn't matter. Uh, between PSU and, and Burnside. And there were these two young guys. Okay, Lisa, these guys were maybe like mid twenties. And they had a few possessions with them. They weren't too scrunchy. And they were just shooting up just right there on this stoop. And I was like, what? Like, we're, you know, this is not going to get you any place good. And, and that was the same day that I saw those guys, somebody else and all this stuff. And then you totally mixed in with the good people of Portland going about their lives. I think sometimes in Portland, I think sometimes the city's good intentions has led them to bad places. You know, you want to be kind to addicts. You definitely want to be kind to the homeless. You want to do things that you believe are going to help. And and yes, uh, intellectually, they should help. But you have to factor in these other things like addiction when people stop being able to make great decisions for themselves. Sorry for that rant. Let's Let's talk about exactly what you're seeing and maybe a few stories or examples of, of how mothers is being affected. Well, I mean, honestly, first and foremost, every day we face it. Somebody is wielding a cleaver outside our front door or one night a guy was swinging a knife. So we had to lock our doors for safety and uh, direct guests to enter through the hotel. Um, we are thankfully now in the embassy suites hotel who has their own security service and what has happened in Portland is businesses are resorting where they have the resources to hiring their own security. So that's the first thing. Thank God I'm in a hotel so they can cover me. And if I wasn't, I would be totally at the mercy of all that is happening around us. But we can call... We do have resources, okay? We can call Clean and Safe. They have dealt... And it's a. this is a... An organization that helps the downtown core businesses maintain cleanliness. And I have to say, Nancy, today I walked from 16th and Cooch all the way down Burnside to my restaurant, and I was kind of impressed with how clean it was. I, I really was. They Great. are making efforts to clean up a lot, and you will see there is that difference there. Um, but what you and I both know is it just moves. If it's not in one place, it moves to another. And um, and I, re I really just feel we all need to understand that there are, you know, different categories of people that need our help and, and who are um, 
But the ones that are mainly affecting the livability of downtown are not the people who are down on their luck and down and out. It's the addicts who will smoke where anywhere they please, and then the and then the consequences of their behavior. So we have one girl who we assume it must be meth, but you know she'll come by and she'll knock down when we have outdoor seating. Not we. She went to touch our water glasses and take water, and my buser ran out to her to bring her a disposable cup and give her water, but she interpreted it as him yelling at her. So she smashed all the glasses and went screaming down the street and then had come back again to our property and tried to steal someone's pocketbook another, you know, another time. And then when we asked her to leave, took her skateboard and smashed one of our guest car windows. So, you know, we get involved and we help file a police report and, and there's nothing. And then one that had just happened, I stopped a cop who was on a bike. And I said, look, this girl just smashed a window. I have video of her. Here she is. Oh, sorry. I can't help you. I only deal. We don't deal with property crimes. We only deal with this crime. So really the biggest thing, Nancy, in Portland is we have a very passive aggressive police force. Okay. Okay. Now they're going to give you the numbers. They'll tell you, look, in 2019, we had 1200 cops. And right now we really only have 700 cops, even though they say we have 900, 200 of them are still in training and it takes two years to train them. So they'll give you all that, but yet they'll look me in the eye while they're not doing anything else and do nothing about a situation. And it's, it really... I feel very, I feel like I'm in a passive aggressive relationship. I've been in an abusive relationship and I honestly feel somewhat abused by our police who, who just say and do nothing when they have in their power to do it. They're right there. And you, you see them drive by the addicts and they say nothing. So, um, that, that is the biggest thing, you know, people who, you know, we just watch them, witness them using the drugs and that's what makes them brazen in my old location before it was a fentanyl, uh, crisis. It was meth. And we had people that uh, burglarized all the lockers of my staff one day. And then they went upstairs above our restaurant to all the offices. And we had seen them on video because we looked at to see who it was. And then we saw them leaving the building with a whole uh, bicycle carry, you know, that you can take along next to you for a kid with all the computers from all the offices. And we ran after them. We tried to catch them. A guy, they tried to run away. Another guy drove into the sunroof as the guy was driving off. But what we learned when they went, we went up to the offices is that they were sitting there all day long, eating apples, watching TV, you know, while they're robbing, they're brazen. You know, the, we have the catalytic girl, converter problem in Oregon because people are so high that they don't mind risking everything for something small. And that's, I think, the biggest effect of our livability, the property crimes, the stealing, you know, the theft, the shoplifting, Walmart is closing in Portland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because people, I think, are more brazen um, when they're on some of these drugs. They also are absolutely, it, it's like if you and I are drowning, we need to get a breath of air, okay? They need to get what they need to get. And how are they going to get it? They're probably not working at Wyden Kennedy, okay? They're probably stealing. That's how they're going to get money. They're going to sell something that they can get. It's a computer that cost you $2,000. They get 50 bucks. Great. I'm, they're good for another two hours. I wanted to say that, you know, your customers that are there, this girl comes by. I've been at restaurants where people are acting crazy. It's like not the best feeling. You don't feel so safe. You're sitting there. And then she breaks their car window. I'm going to say, I, I can't say this for sure, 
But those customers are maybe going to have a moment of pause before they, they come, come back. back. I have to interrupt. I love they are regulars. I love them. They, they have come back and hallelujah, thank God they didn't abandon us. But you're right. More, more, more people than not would say we're done. Well, you're also very, you're kind of well-known, not just in Portland, like you're well-known kind of around the country because you're, you know, you're in an area where there are a lot of hotels, you've gotten press, you've been on TV. People are like, let's try that place I saw on blah, 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 called Mothers. Well, somebody comes from Indianapolis and they're the ones whose rent-a-car window gets smashed. They're probably not going to make it a point to go back if they ever come back to Portland. And that's just not good. And it's not your fault. Do you have... um? When my husband owned the coffee shops, we definitely had people coming in who were, you know, in really bad shape, people that stole the tip jars and, you know, did that kind of stuff. Um, we also had people OD in the bathroom a, no- a number of times. Not Nobody died, but, you know, the doors had to be broken down and we had to go in and get them. Do you have people that are high, like wandering into your restaurant, falling asleep, wanting to use the bathroom, wanting something well- to eat? Nance, as you said earlier, I've been in downtown Portland for 23 years, so I am not having any more radically different experiences in this location this year than I had 10 years ago in my other location. I mean, we've had people come in off the streets and cut themselves in the bathroom so the ambulance has to come take them out for some dramatic reason or another. I mean, we've had so I can tell you stories here just by being downtown and being open to everyone. So, you know, a guy will come in, pull down his pants and pee in front of the guests right there, like just right there, no compunction. Um, we've, we've gotten very good at dealing with that. We know how to, we, we really do know how to deal with people who are mentally ill, but that's not what we're talking about. And the people on meth and fentanyl usually don't come into the places. They are so, they're the guys that are covered with the blankets on their heads and, and, and you, you know, they're smoking their pipes underneath those blankets. It's not, it's, it's a different breed. It's a whole different thing. They don't even come into the businesses. They are all about the street and what they can get on the street or how they can get it. You know, you've heard stories that they get snapped, they get benefits so they can yes. get water and then they buy the water. Hey everybody, this is Nancy. If you've gotten this far, it means you've listened to the free portion of this podcast, this particular episode. Thanks for listening for the full ride and many extras do consider becoming a paid subscriber. It's easy so we can keep bringing you the stories that we care about and hopefully you do too. Thanks.